0: Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to Soma's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. It's good to be in the room. Hey, listen, you could be anywhere on a Sunday morning, but you chose to be in the house, and we're so grateful for that, and uh, we're excited for what God's going to do in our time together, but I know a lot of tradition is tied to this weekend for a lot of people, and uh, we do things just culturally um, when it comes to church, or when it just comes to this weekend Easter, if we're being honest, so I see a lot of pastels. For example, I mean, I know a lot of people go out and they buy a new outfit, buy that Easter outfit, right? If you grew up, I grew up with the uh, the fake grass, you know what I'm talking about, and the Easter eggs, and we didn't have, you know, kids now they have money in the eggs, whatever that is. Like we had jelly beans, you know what I mean? What even the good kind? It was like the nasty kind, but we had jelly beans. Um, and we do all these different traditions. You go to grandma's house, you eat some deviled eggs, which is also kind of weird when you think about, when you think about it. And, uh, and it's just some, it's just some weird things that we have tied to this weekend, but church is also a cultural rhythm for a lot of people. So even if you don't gather and and worship on any given Sunday, even if you don't call Soma home or you're a part of what we do regularly, I know there's people who are kind of, um, you come and you're like, well, I, I'm going to come because if he's taking attendance, it's on Easter. You know what I mean? Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up on Easter because, and so we have a tendency to swell uh, over this weekend, which is super fun. I love it. But also, um, uh, it, I just don't want us to miss kind of the main thing, what it's all about. I think the resurrection of Jesus is the most important event in all of human history. And, uh, and you're like, of course you do. Your pastor this is what you do for a living. You're Jesus follower. Of course you're about it. But Um, I don't think it's the most important event in all human history because Jesus uh, rose from the grave, although he did. I think it's the most important event in human history because Jesus's resurrection has implications for my resurrection. And and Jesus doesn't he doesn't come, live, die in your place and, and rise again for himself, but for you. And so, um, like, if you came to me and you were like, hey, I got a story to tell you, there's a guy, he's a first century Jewish itinerant rabbi, and uh, he hung out in the Middle East and he, did, he never really, like, left the region. His dad was a carpenter. He had really cool things to say. Some people got healed. He had some miracles. It was really awesome. He also called his shot. So he said, hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to raise myself again on the third day. And that was it. That's the end of the story. That's all I got. it would be like, cool. That's a great story. Awesome. But the, the, the thing about Jesus' resurrection is it's not for him, it's for you. It's for you. And his resurrection is really only for your own resurrection. He says, This is the body that is broken for you. This is the blood that is shed for you. And he climbs out of that tomb for you. And so I don't know about you. <clears throat> that's why it hits for me. I'm pretty self-involved. I like myself. You know what I mean? Like I'm like my life, my eternity, like I care. You know what I mean? And so I I just want to encourage you today that uh, the God, God loves you so much that he sent his son to die in our place uh, and and to live um, a perfect life and and to die a ransom so that you and I, all of our sin and our brokenness and our, all of our selfish motivations, all the things that we do in this life. And I don't even have to, you, you know who you are, Like all the things that keep us from the standard, um, Jesus comes and stands in our own place and then offers us new life. And so... Um, we've been in this series. I am, and we've been talking about the different phrases of Jesus in the book of John. He tells us who he is, not so much what he's done. And that's great. And we want to celebrate that by the way, that song was so good. Oh my God. I want y'all to sing that at my funeral. What he's done is so good anyway, but we're going to talk like what, who I am is what, what Jesus says. And when you stare at the person of Jesus, it has this transforming effect, um, on your life. And so he begins to say things that are really offensive in the book of John because he's talking about uh, his divinity. He's talking about the fact that he's God. And so we've, we've kind of hit different phrases every single week, and this should come as no surprise. The phrase for this week is, I'm the resurrection and the life. It comes in John chapter 11. John 11 Uh, verse 17 is where we're going to be today. If you have your Bibles, if you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible, hit our team up at next steps tent on the way out. I know it's the South. You probably have four or five, but if you don't have one and you're new to church, new to faith, new to this flow, go and see somebody. We would love to gift that to you. It's going to be on the screen behind me, but to just kind of tee it up and set you guys up for context. Uh, if you're new to the story, Jesus is going to spend some time with the family in Bethany, which is almost a couple miles outside of Jerusalem. And so they tried to kill him there, not too, not too much before um, this passage, but it's Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, these siblings that live in this region, and they're friends of Jesus. Uh, they love Jesus and Jesus loves them. It's Mary is the same Mary. There's lots of Marys in the Bible, but Mary is the same Mary in John 12, where we see Mary at the feet of Jesus. And she is wetting the feet of Jesus with her tears. And she takes perfume, very expensive perfume and pours that out on Jesus's feet and then wipes her hair and washes the feet of Jesus with her hair. This radical, crazy act of worship that kind of blows everybody away in the room. And uh, so a real devotion to Jesus, but also he has a real devotion to them. He loves them. He's for them. Martha, her sister, is also pretty famous in Scripture. Martha's like the very task-oriented one. You know what I mean? Martha is not one on the Enneagram. She's just like this. She's that kid that gets off the school bus and does her homework right away. And then, but the story is all about Lazarus, the brother, who is sick, deathly sick. And, uh, and so he ends up passing away but there's this crazy exchange between the family and Jesus. They send word to Jesus, Mary and Martha. Hey, our brother is sick. It's like sudden sickness. This an illness has come on him. And we need to know like, what's the deal. Are you coming? Are you not coming? Cause miracles have already happened at this point. They know who Jesus is. And so Jesus tells them in the passage, Hey, don't worry about it. Uh, but I love John, uh, 11 verse three, because when the, the, when Mary and Martha appeal to Jesus, they appeal to Jesus. This is what they say. They say, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. And so they don't appeal to Jesus based on the merit of Lazarus. They don't appeal to Jesus based on Lazarus' uh, Lazarus's, his goodness or, hey, he's your good friend or, hey, you know he's a pretty good guy or he's a follower of you. Or They don't do any of that. They only appeal to Jesus based on the love that Jesus has for Lazarus. And I love that because I feel like sometimes if we're not careful, uh, we can appeal to God in terms of fairness, or we can look around and we can appeal to God in terms of, Hey, by comparison, Lord, are you kidding me? Like you're going to do that in their life. And I'm really struggling with this and this hard thing that I'm facing or this loss or this job or this like, and, and we're looking around the room and we're, we're appealing to God on fairness, but they don't do that. They appeal to God on the love that he has for Lazarus. And listen, the, the, the love of God is enough to stir his affection and make him move. You don't have, like, it's not your good behavior. It's not your good works. There's nothing you can do to merit, earn. Like, he already loves you, right? So John 3, same author for this text. John 3 tells us that God so loves you. He so loves you that he sends his son. To live, to die into your place, to be resurrected again. God doesn't send a condemner. He sends a savior. If he wanted to condemn you, he would. He wanted to save you. He sends Jesus. And it's his love and his great grace for us that, that moves him. Not anything that you and I are offering. It's only his love. And so they appeal to that at the beginning of this text. God, Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. But then Jesus sends word back and he says, hey, this is the sickness that does not lead to death. The sickness doesn't lead to death. And so, uh, he says, God is going to get glory out of this. And so I'm thinking like, if I'm Mary and Martha and I hear that I'm going, okay, cool. He said, he said, he's not going to die. Also, it's kind of confusing. Um, he said, God's going to get glory out of this, but they're sitting there holding their brother, nursing their brother, watching their brother wither, waiting for Jesus to turn around the corner. Any minute he's going to be here. And he, he no shows they send word. He knows shows Lazarus dies. Even though Jesus says he's not going to die. They're holding their brother, trying to reconcile this, all of this in their brain. And, um, and so just let that sit for a minute. That's the, that's the scene that we're in. Jesus shows up in verse 17. Jesus shows up to Bethany. Here's what happens on his arrival. Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And here's what's wild about this scene. Um, We know this from other places in the scripture, but there's just different personalities at play and Martha, um, she breaks protocol in Jewish tradition. Uh, in the morning, the loss of a loved one like this, you would have stayed at home for 30 days, sackcloth ashes. You're wearing black people are bringing casseroles. You know what I'm talking about? Like that's the scene. Everybody from Jerusalem making, making their way to Bethany, but you just kind of hang out at home. That's, that's the rules. And, uh, but, but Martha doesn't do that in this passage of scripture. Martha actually breaks protocol. And Martha's the rule follower. We got any rule followers in the house? If you're a rule follower, raise your hand for me. You have to raise your hand because you're a rule follower. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, ah, every, every single time. Now, um, so, and, and you know how you have siblings and you all, out of the siblings, there's always that one rule follower. You know what I'm talking about? Don't look at them. Uh, but, but, then you, but there's others of us who, how many of you, for you, rules are more like suggestions. You know what I mean? Like, you're so excited to let people know that, right? It's just like, it's not, you know, it's the speed limit is 70-ish, you know? Like, my curfew is 10-ish. The paper is due at Tuesday-ish, you know? So it's like, that's, guys, it's more of a suggestion. You know what I mean? It's man-made. Like, let me test the limits. And so, uh, but Martha's not that way. Martha is a rule follower. And, uh, Martha is, we see it in scripture. She has this gift of hospitality. Jesus comes to visit another place and she's busy working, doing all the work, cleaning, cooking, all this kind of stuff. Jesus rebukes her. And if you're, if you're, if you're a rule follower, you're like, why is she getting rebuked for doing all the work? It's so weird. But, um, but there's this great passage where they, they, they flip and Mary stays at home. Mary stays at home, sticks to protocol. Martha runs out and meets Jesus in this passage. And uh, and that's where we pick up. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Man, like underline that, highlight that. If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know uh, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And uh, she goes on, she says, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, Martha. And then she says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day like in heaven. I'll see him again. And then Jesus makes this statement. And, and this is the one that sets in motion. Actually, the Bible tells us this in John 11, when he makes this statement and when he performs this miracle for this family, um, it seals the deal. It sets in motion uh, Passover week, um, the cross, resurrection, all that. But Jesus looks at all of them and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I know I'll see him in heaven. I know one day, like the resurrection is dead. I got it. Yeah, I understand. But also I miss my brother. And Jesus says, no, you don't understand. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm right here. And so uh, the one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he asked this question. He still asks us today. Do you believe this? And it's a question that everybody has to answer you don't get, like, everyone has the answer to this question. Uh, And he says, do you believe this? Because the answer is either yes or no. So she says, yes, Lord, I I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I want to, I want to break down uh, this passage a little bit and Martha's response to Jesus in this moment. Um, it's important for us to stop and point to the fact that everything that Martha says here, um, while it is like on paper, it's correct, but it's just not complete. And by that, here's what I mean. She immediately, Martha immediately brings up the past. My brother's dead. You didn't come. If you would have been here, he would still be alive. And so, uh, if you would have been here and, um, it's easy for us to read the Bible backwards. We're the beneficiaries of context, and we have all of God's word in our hands. Um, we're 2,000 years removed from the cross and everything that, that plays out in Scripture. But I just want you to stop and imagine for a minute that you're the sisters of Lazarus. Okay? And because uh, some of us have been, been there where someone is suffering in our life. Maybe you have a loved one that you lost. But that moment, I just wanted to place you in first century Palestine. There's no electricity Uh, there is no heart monitor. There's no breathing machine. There's no ICU. There's dirt on the floor. I mean, that's what you're working with. So Lazarus is dying of this illness and they are holding their brother and they're trying to comfort their brother. And they're trying to just make it. That's all you can do is make him comfortable in this moment and just pray and hope that Jesus rounds the corner. And then Jesus no shows. He doesn't show up. And this is the one that you love. This is your friend. And yet he doesn't show up and death. Um, Death is always ugly. If you've been around, if you've had the privilege to be around death, I've been in the room when family members passed and uh, when other people have passed and it is like a sobering, like it's a super, for me, it's really a spiritual moment to just watch people transition, to just watch pe- just watch people's life leave. It is wild and it's super humbling and dignity always leaves right? And people are, people are struggling to breathe. There's a gasping of breath. You're worried, like, are they in pain? The people, there's moaning involved. And then and it gives way to a gurgle. And then they just stop. And if you've ever seen or experienced it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's exactly where Martha and Mary are at, holding their brother. And they, they're in this moment where all that takes place. And they're like, where were you? Like, where were you in this moment? Uh, if you would have been here, he would have lived. And I know that there's many of us in this room right now um, where our idea of God or our faith in Jesus is really marked and shaped by our past. Things that we've done, things that have been done to us, hard things that we've been through. And then we ask this question, where were you? Where were you? For many of us, there's an experience that's defined us and a type of identity uh, we can't reconcile to a loving God. Um, because we can't reconcile that God would love us because of what we've done. We know who we are. Like some of us, some people really struggle to be in a church space. That might be you today. Um, they just struggle with, it. they feel judged. They feel shamed, They feel all the things like they know who they are and what they've done. And then the second thing is we can't reconcile that he's loving based on what happened to us. We're, like, we have that same question. Uh, if you're kind, if you're loving, if you're for me, where were you? Um, And so her faith, Martha's faith is kind of marked by this past experience of like, I don't understand how, I don't understand how to reconcile who you are to me based on the death of my brother. But then she also makes this statement in that same passage where it's just indicative of where her faith is at in the present. And she says this, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask and when you read that, you're like, that's cool. Martha, good rebound. That's a good rebound, right? And so, um, but, it's, but she says it, but she doesn't really believe it. And we know she doesn't believe it because we get the rest of the story. And it's kind of like a spiritual platitude. It's just something that you say when you're, you know, when you're standing in front of Jesus and you're like, "I, I but I know. I know. Even in this moment, God will give you whatever you ask. And have you ever had people go through hard things and you're trying to encourage them? You haven't been through hard things like that yourself. And so you just say things that sometimes are biblical, sometimes not biblical. You think they might be helpful. They might be encouraging. Christians, a lot of times we say things that are just really weird. And only Christians say these things a lot of times, right? And so I'm going to give you some examples of just spiritual platitudes. Stuff that just shows people, hey, they don't really understand what I'm going through. God won't give you more than you can handle. You ever had somebody tell you that? And, 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 And in some ways it's true, but in other ways it's like when somebody says that, like if you if you go through a hard thing and then someone tells this to you, you're like, shut up! Like you just want to hit them. You know what I mean? It's like whatever. What are you talking about? And also, He will give you things. He will give you more than you can handle, right? So I'm married. I have five kids at home. I lead a growing church. I am, I am. Oh, he will hand you more. He will give you more than you can handle. Okay. Let me tell you, but what happens is he fills the gap. And so he wants to give you more than you can handle so that you become more dependent on him. But he will definitely hard things, suffering loss. If you've ever been there, you're like, how in the world am I going to make it through this? And he's like, I'm glad you asked. And then he fills the gap on that. But these are spiritual platitudes stuff that we say. Here's one. When God closes a door, come on, he opens a window. He ever had somebody tell you that? And when they deliver that, they go, when God closes the door, he opens the window. Like they stand there, like waiting for you to shout them down, like say amen. But you, but, uh, and and you're like, well, that's, that's cool. But sometimes he just closes the door. Like sometimes there's no window. Let's be real. Sometimes you've been standing at the door for two years and he's like, that's not your door. I'd like move on. Like I've told you, that's not your door or even worse, sometimes this is me. I'm standing at what I think is a door and I'm like at a wall and he's like, it's not even a door, my man, what are we doing? And so, uh, so that's one of the things that we say, say, when God closes the door, he opens the window. Here's one. Everything happens for a reason. So we feel real profound when you say it, it's like somebody, uh, it's like cause and effect. Somebody took a, a class in logic and they were like, yo, everything does happen for a reason, you know, and then they turned it into like a meme or whatever. And we reposted it. So, um, but it's just not helpful. It's just not helpful. Here's another one. This is something Christians say, uh, people will pray for your traveling mercies. Have you ever had somebody pray for your traveling mercies? You got family or friends or people who pray for traveling mercies. I have family that pray for that. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. I can't really find it in the Bible, specifically praying for traveling mercies, like Lord, hold the airplane up. You know what I mean, Lord, no flat tires, Lord, bed bugs. In Jesus' name, no bed bugs. Like, and I want to. I want to just brought, I think pray about everything. The Bible tells you to pray about everything, but specifically the term traveling mercies is so great because I can't find. I'm like, just give me all the mercy. I need all of it, not just traveling. I don't want just that insurance. Like, I need all the mercy. Um, I don't know about you, because at any given time, God could kill me and not just on the interstate. Like, I just need all the mercy all the time. And so here's another one. Uh, Hedge of protection. You ever had somebody pray a hedge of protection? I had a boss one time prayed a hedge of protection around everything. Hedge of protection, Lord. And for whatever reason, every single time somebody prays a hedge of protection, for me in my mind, it's always a boxwood. Like, every single time the Lord just makes a boxwood... Around whatever hard situation I'm in. Nothing says fortified, safe, and secure like a shrub. You know what I mean? Give me an Isaiah to attack the the enemy Lord. You know what I mean? Like give me like it's just such a weird phrase, but it's biblical phrase, it's in Job one. And get the context for this one. So it's in Job one. And people say this, but it's when Satan goes to God and says, Of course Job like loves you and he's happy and he's fulfilled and all those things. Like you put a hedge of protection around Job. Now let it sit for a minute that God cuts down the hedge. Job's life is ruined, and that's the thing we're like, yeah, put a hedge of protection around him. We're like, no, Lord, do not put that hedge of protection. I don't want that hedge. Give me a different one if you want to, but uh, give me a nice holly or something. But so that's something we hear people say. Here's another spiritual platitude, kind of a meme, is God is always on time. And this one kind of hits with what we're talking about today. God's always on time. We used to sing a, a song growing up in church called He's an on-time God i about to break it out right now. I'm about to break out a song right now. So good. I love singing that song. It's easy to sing. It's hard to live. He's an on time God. And uh, because it feels like you're going through hard things, you're praying, you're like, you need direction, you need clarity, you need him to come through. And then it's like, ah, yeah, but sometimes he feels like he's late. Sometimes he feels like he's, like he's never late. He's never late. But how many of us know he's never early? You know what I mean? He ain't 15 minutes early to nothing, right? He's just on time. And so, um, and that's what we see in this passage of scripture. Um, And how many of you, how many of you have been guilty of a faith like that, where when people are going through things, or maybe you don't fully understand, you don't even fully really uh, believe or trust God with, with what you're saying. You're just like, this is what I'm supposed to say in this situation. Anybody? I'm the only one. Spiritual platitudes. You ever said them, posted them online? Like, majority of posts on Instagram are some of the bumper sticker theology kind of kind of way of living. And that's what Martha does in this moment in verse 23. I know, I know, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And then Jesus says, cool, cool, cool. Uh, that's the reason why I can be four days late and still be on time. And so he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know he's going to rise again. I'm going to see him in heaven. I get it. And then Jesus makes this offensive statement and this bold claim that sets in motion his own cross and his own resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then Jesus ties life and resurrection to faith in him. And so if you're new to the idea of the gospel, if you're new to a church space, if you're new to the idea that God loves you, he loves you and he wants to give you over to resurrection and life. So, so not just a future hope or a future eternity or a heaven, but he wants to give you over to the life. He wants to give you over to an abundant life and eternity starts when you place your faith and your trust in him. The one who believes in me, how do we get there? Believes in me. He says, I'm the resurrection. I'm your eternity. I'm the way to heaven. I'm what brings dead things to life, but I'm also the life. And if you want to really live, it's me. I'm the way. And then Jesus is, he's going to make good on this claim. We're going to skip to verse 38 today for time's sake. You go home and read the rest of the passage. He has this exchange with Martha and then Mary at the house. But then he's like, Take me to the tomb. Take me to where Lazarus is. He shows up in verse 38. It says this Jesus, once more deeply moved, He comes to the tomb. It's a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he says. He's been dead four days. Take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been in there four days. Martha objects. She says the body is decaying. He has been in there four days days. Four days is important because, uh, in Jewish tradition, this isn't biblical. It's just like a superstition that they held. They thought that the body would, the, the spirit would hover over the body for like three days. And so Jesus goes, okay, cool. We're going to do four days. Cause then it'll, he'll be dead, dead. And as he's so dead at this point that the Bible stopped referring to him as Lazarus. It just refers to him as the dead man. If you pay attention in scripture, but Uh, but she says, she objects, Lord, his body is decaying. Uh, This is the Easter egg for you. This is just a nugget, nothing, no spiritual depth. But if you have a King James version, uh, she says, Lord, he stinketh. That's what she says in that passage. And, uh, and so I want you to think, she just said, Martha just said, Hey, whatever you ask, I know God will give it to you. And then he's like, okay, move the stone. Uh, Lord, he stinketh. Right? And so just think about how shallow that is on the faith side of things. And then Jesus says, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? How do we get to the glory of God? Believe. Believe. How do we get to the resurrected life, the abundant life that He offers us? Believe. Everything on the other side of faith. Some of you, you need to realize that all the amazing things that God has in store for your life. Uh, your relationships, the way you view yourself, the way you view others, um, the, the lack of peace that you have, or the hope that you desperately need, and the purpose and the fulfillment, all of that is on the other side of belief. All of it's on the other side of belief. And uh, Martha, the same one that looks at Jesus and says, Lord, if you'd have been here, like, I don't understand how in this moment to deal. Cause I'm just struggling with the loss of my brother and I'm struggling with my past and this hard thing that I've gone through. And, but I know, I know, I know that I'm supposed to say that even now you can do whatever it is that the father, you know, whatever you ask, he'll, he'll do it. And, and then Jesus has this moment where he really, he encourages her to make good on all of that and says, okay, move the stone. Um, and, and, but Martha doubts, Martha doubts and she doesn't. Hey, move the stone. Uh, are you sure? And I love Jesus's response. He's so tender towards her doubt. Like there's such grace and such patience towards the doubt of Martha. Who's a good friend of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And yet she doesn't totally, she doesn't have the Bible. She doesn't understand how it plays out. She's like, he's been dead for days. This is crazy exercise. Right? I just want to encourage you, some of you, your faith is going to come alive. Not when uh, You're going to trust God more. You're going, to, uh, you're going to be given over to a greater faith and a greater belief and a greater hope when you just do the thing that God's asking you to do. And you don't understand all the things and it's okay. It's like walk across the room, have awkward conversations, trust him to give, trust him to serve, trust him to do the things you, the Holy Spirit just give you marching orders. You do those things. And in that moment, it just gives you over to a greater faith. And Jesus, um, he looks at Martha and he has such grace and such tenderness towards her doubt. That is not the same response that I would have if I'm being real, like in my flesh, if I was like, okay, listen, I'm son of man, I'm God. I just, they tried to kill me in Jerusalem not that long ago. I come back to Bethany, really close to Jerusalem. There's a lot of people here at this funeral, at this gathering, at the people who are mourning alongside of the family, a lot of people who are, who are up in this region. I go to the tomb. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to point to my own resurrection. It's going to be dope. I get there and, hey, move the stone away. And then the sister of the guy in the tomb, the one who's supposed to be my follower, trust me, she looks at me and she's like, uh, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? I'd have been like, you know what? Nope, not anymore. I'm not. You know what I mean? I've tried to do something nice. Trying to do something nice. You had to go and ruin it, Martha. You know what I mean? I'm gonna go resurrect somebody else. Like that's what I would say in my flesh. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus looks at her, he leans in again and he says, Hey, did I not tell you? And there's this, there's this focus on, hey, remember. I feel like that's the thing that God does in my life in spaces like this or with loved ones, or people who are further along in their faith than I am, or just people, God will send all kinds of people just to remind you. Hey, will you just remember? Remember remember the way to see the glory of God? Believe. And I just want to remind you today. Remember the way to see the glory of God? Believe. Believe for resurrection in areas of your life where you struggle to see that God could actually redeem that, that relationship. Man, my dad left when, my dad left when, when I was so young and he struggles in all these different ways and I don't really know, like, man, he he can, he can give you over to resurrection in any area of your life. My ex or, you know, I'm really struggling with a relationship with my kid or I just really lack purpose or fulfillment. I don't feel like there's there's certain things that we don't hand to God because we go, there's no way it's been four days. There's no way. And then uh, God who is Jesus, who is rich in mercy and patience and grace. um, He just waits and he reminds us to believe. And then look at what happens uh, right after this. So they took away the stone. So she doubted and they moved the stone anyway. I love that. It makes me feel good, right? So it's like, God's like, move away, move that stone. And you're like, ah, there's no way. Move the stone. And then, uh, and then here's what happened. Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me and I'm not even talking right now for my benefit. I'm talking for the benefit of everybody who's listening to me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man, again, he's lost his name at this point. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen, cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so Jesus, in that moment, what he does is he takes this past The Martha and Mary's past, this hard things that they've gone through over the past few days. They held their brother while he died of a violent death. And we know that because he died quickly. Anytime you die quickly, it's ugly. And they're sitting there holding their brother and they're praying that Jesus comes around the corner and they're like, any minute. And he doesn't come. And it's like, what? He begins to untangle all the hard things. They're like, I'm confused. I need clarity. And then what he does is he drags the future hope of resurrection into their present moment. Yeah, no, I understand heaven, but I am the resurrection and the life. And he takes their past and their future and he brings them, he brings them to this moment where they get to experience resurrection. How many of you know that when Lazarus walked out of that tomb, Mary and Martha, you know what they were thinking about? They were not thinking about the hard things that they went through. They were not thinking about the loss of their brother. They were not thinking about a gurgle or moaning or uh, watching him wither. They were not thinking about any of those things. They were thinking, what? What?" They were like, oh, my goodness. I mean, so that's what resurrection gives us over to. It gives us over to like a clarity of you ever been through hard things, been delivered in areas of your life. And then you get real clarity on what God was doing in the season of brokenness. You're like, oh, that's what you were doing. Okay, cool but it takes time and distance and and God just reveals it to you. And he gives them in this moment, he just unravels and untangles their past and brings the hope of the future into their present moment. And I love that. I love that. Um, And so I know the problem that some of us have with resurrection is that we struggle with our past. Uh, Some of us have doubts. Um, Some of us look at the things that we've done Uh, We look at the identity that we carry or the labels that other people will put on us, um, the brokenness and the addiction and the tendencies and the, like, we look at all of that and we go, man, I just, there's no way. There's no way for you to resurrect this mess with all of our brokenness and all of our mistakes and all our insecurities and fears. Listen, Christ died for you at your worst. Romans 5, 8 should encourage you. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. God, his love is made manifest in Jesus, not when you were good, but when you're at your worst. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let that sink in. There is nothing you can do to make God love you. He just loves you. (laughs) He just loves you and he loves you even at your worst. And so some of us, it's our past that we carry. Sometimes it's things that have been done to us suffering or abuse or pain or loss or things that have been done to us. And we ask that question, where were you? Where were you when my mom died? Where were you when he abused me? Where were you when he, you fill in the blank with whatever that is for you. And we ask that question. We struggle with our past and then some of us, it's not our past. We just like Martha, we say things that we don't truly believe, or at least we don't practice. So we don't really fully trust that God can resurrect all areas of our life. And so we just hold a little too tightly to certain areas of our life and we go, yes, Lord, I understand that he will give you anything that you ask for except maybe this. He's been in there four days. What are we talking about? Like this relationship is gone. We're just good. I'm, I'm good. We're good. I can live in unforgiveness. I can live with the shame. I cannot be given over to the abundant life. I can settle for less than what you paid for. It's Okay. And he wants to give you more. He wants to give you more. And so for some of us, it's our present. But another, uh, another thing that we struggle with is we struggle with the hope of the future. We look at stories like Lazarus and we go, okay, cool. But what if it was just Lazarus? What if it was just a one-off we see other people's miracles or other people's breakthrough. Other people's marriages are restored. Other people get reconciled with their kids. Other people get real direction and purpose and breakthrough in that area. Other people get joy. And other people are like, other people fully come over we are like, but what if it's just them? What if that's not for me? And here's the really, and this is one of the most encouraging things about this story uh, is that Lazarus dies again he dies again. And why, why that matters is because the death and the resurrection of Lazarus was not even about Lazarus. The death and the resurrection of Lazarus is the miracle before the miracle, the resurrection before the resurrection. Jesus is putting on display to everybody. I am the resurrection and the life. Fast forward to John 20, Jesus raises himself from the dead and it was never about Lazarus and his resurrection. It isn't even about him. It's about you and your own resurrection. And Jesus, he conquers death, hell, sin, the grave. Again, not on your good behavior or your merit or, or you being right with God, just solely on his love. It compels him to do so. And then he says, do you want to take part in that? Do you want it? I'm, I'm offering it as a gift of grace. Do you want to take part in it? And that's what we're invited to. His resurrection gives way to our own. This is the words of Paul. This is what he says. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. This group of women who came to the tomb, you read the gospel accounts, they're blown away. They think he's the gardener. It doesn't make sense. They run and tell the others, right? He was seen by Peter and then by the 12. After that, he's seen by more than 500 followers at one time. That's a good eyewitness, 500 people. Yep, He's alive. That's him. Right. So 500 people. And then here's what Paul says about our faith. Paul says, if Christ has not been raised then all our preaching is useless, what I'm doing right now is dumb is what Paul is saying. If Jesus is not alive, all our preaching is useless. Your faith is useless. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are more to be pitied than anybody in the world. This is the guy that writes two thirds of your Bible. This is the guy that plants more churches than anybody in history. And he goes, wait, are we, what are we talking about? Jesus is not a good moral teacher or someone to model our life after or someone. He's like, no, the only thing that matters is that Christ died and then was risen again. And then everything else has weight because he rose again. That's the only thing that matters. And it's not like, hey, be good in your life and then die and we'll see what happens. He's like, no, you have to get to a place where you believe you trust him with your life and you have a a future hope for your eternity in Jesus, the saving work of Jesus. And then that actually gives you over to an abundant life here. You never actually become who God wants you to become until you ascend to the resurrection and the life, until you get to a place where you go, I trust you with my eternity. So I'm willing you to, I'm, I'm letting, I'm gonna hand you things this side of eternity that are really hard for me to hand you. But it's only because I trust in in eternity that I'm willing to do that. He goes on. Paul says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's like, what do you think I'm doing? Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Sin enters the picture through Adam and Eve, and Jesus comes And he offers us grace. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. And then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. That's the message of Easter. The message of Easter is that God so loves you that he dies in your place. He's resurrected only to offer you resurrection. He wants dead things in your life to come alive. Every area that feels dormant, that feels dead, that lacks hope, that lacks joy, that lacks fulfillment. Every area that there is unforgiveness, every area that there is shame, every area that feels dark. He wants all of that to come alive and it only comes alive in light of his resurrection. It's the reality of his resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how God operates. That's how he's been operating since the first century church. That's how he works today, right? Christ is risen and his resurrection has implications for our own And we see that he's still in the business of saving, redeeming, restoring. Helping helping people to finally see who they are in relationship to who He is, and they surrender their life and they experience a life like none other. Every time somebody gets into a bab- we're having baptisms next week. Every time somebody gets into the baptismal, they're proclaiming death to an old self and life in Christ. They're proclaiming, "Hey, here's all my brokenness," and, and we know that because they tell us. They tell us their junk, man. Here's the jacked up things I've done. Like, here's who I am and and what was a place of shame and what was a place where it just felt now becomes a trophy of God's grace. Now becomes like I'm a boast in my weakness. Look how good good God is. That's what he wants to give you over to. The things that are hard to talk about, they're not hard to talk about anymore because his grace covers it and his forgiveness covers it and his blood covers it. And he offers you up to new life and freedom and forgiveness only in him and because of his love, not because of anything that you've done. He takes your past, your broken past. He takes the hope of the future. And he brings all that in this moment where you finally go, whoa. And he lets you walk out of the tomb. So I would love to just end today praying for that moment for you. I just want to, I'm to close this with prayer right now. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us. God, thank you so much for sending your son. Thank you that your love compels you, compels you to go on ransom, to rescue, redeem, restore. Thank you that Lazarus' resurrection wasn't about Lazarus. But it was about Jesus. It was about the hope that you offer in your own resurrection. And today, I just believe that there's people in the room who desperately need to come alive in you, need to surrender their life to you. Go all in. If you're in this room, it could be your past. It could be things that you've done. You go, I'm broken. I'm a sinner. I know I need Jesus. It could be things that have done been done to you that have struggled, that has made you struggle about believing that there's a God who loves you that's for you. How can a God love me and be for me and all these hard things happen to me, all these bad things happen to me. It could be that you're in the room and you you haven't really fully... Experience resurrection in life. You've been in a religious space. You kind of know some things to say. There's some spiritual platitudes. Yeah, I'm going to repeat that. I heard somebody say that one time. But there's never been this moment where you finally get to experience the resurrection in the life. And today, and it's a Holy Spirit moment for the first time ever, you just want to go all in and give your life to Jesus. If you're in this room, in this space today, I would love to give you an, an opportunity to just confess Him as Lord. I would love to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. The Bible talks about the power and the weight that comes with confession of just, it's just a moment for you where I just say, Jesus, I'm surrendering my life to you. All of my sin and my brokenness and my shame, God, you paid for all of that. Wow. would I carry that. I'm going to hand it over to you today and I'm going to walk in resurrected life. I'm going to walk in the resurrection of future hope and eternity, but also the abundant life that you have for me now. If you're here today and you would love to give your life to Jesus, I'd love to lead you in a prayer. Um, but I'd also love to give you an opportunity to confess. Right where you're at, just raise your hand and just say, I want to make him Lord of my life. Right where you're at, in boldness. He dies in your place, brutal death on a cross, very public display. We, the least we can do is just, just have a moment where we raise our hand and we just say, that's me, I need what Jesus has to offer. Is there one person in the room today? That's me, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. Right where you're at, just pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life in response to the greatest story ever, in response to what you've done for me, in response to what you've laid down for me, and what you offer, I want all of it. So I fully, God, God, I give you my life. It's the only thing that makes sense. Lead me, guide me in the days to come. Help me to be faithful, help me to be obedient, and help me to preach a great message with my life. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.